Father, we're thankful. We're, we're thankful for all things as you've asked us to be whatever our circumstances, whether it's a glorious uh, morning, uh, as some of us are experiencing right now, this day, or whether uh, the dark clouds have come upon us and it's hard to see our way forward. So whatever our circumstances, Father, you asked us to be thankful and then to bring our requests. And so, Father, we do that this morning. We're thankful. I'm thankful for each one here. I'm thankful for the privilege to open your word and to share. I'm thankful that we live uh, still uh, in a nation of laws, uh, a constitution that's been used much, Father, by you to um, allow us to have our ministries and to live our lives in, in a, a way that is honoring to you. Father, I thank you for intersecting with our lives individually and here as a group. I thank you for the great blessing of that true Christian fellowship. I thank you, Father, that uh, we've learned much over the years uh, about how your grace is sufficient always, and we're thankful for your grace through our Lord Jesus Christ, who sacrificed himself willingly and uh, even shed his own blood for our sins. And we're thankful, Father, that through his sacrifice, uh, so much has been accomplished and even more will be in due time. We're thankful that his death, his burial and his resurrection have secured our redemption. Father, thank you that each one in the group here confesses, testifies to that saving uh, blood that was shed so many years ago now. But in your plan, Father, our Lord was offered up even before the foundation of the world. And uh, we see the fulfillment of so many prophecies as we read in the Old Testament and then in the New, and we see what's already been accomplished. But Father, there's still more. Satan is still a roaring lion. He still seeks those he, whom he would desire to destroy and devour. And that even includes uh, our children or grandchildren or friends or their children. So, Father, whatever our circumstance, whatever our, our, um, our faith, our history, individually and personally, uh, we see those around us who are in or maybe soon in the grip of the evil one. Father, please deliver our dear ones for whom we fervently pray so often. Please build a wall of protection around them. Father, I pray that our leaders in, in this country would uh, recognize your hand is upon this nation and upon them until it's released and we're turned over, not we personally, but as a nation may at some point be turned over to the evil one. Uh, there's no promise otherwise in Scripture. So, Father, we wonder whether that's what we're seeing in these days. But, Father, we just pray that you guide and lead to those that stand for truth and justice and uh the rule of law and for our Constitution, not perfect, but certainly uh, better than what we can see in the world elsewhere. 
Much better. So, Father, we just we just pray that you would encourage our president, those that serve with him, and protect them and give victory to all of those, whatever way they serve on any level of government or in the private sector. Father, I pray that they would be encouraged day by day. Father, we... We know some in our group are, are, are suffering very greatly, and um, some of our beloved ones uh, that we have fellowship with uh, are uh, suffering from cancer. Some have recently gone to be with the Lord, Father, and He called them home. We pray for their families, Father, and their loved ones. But, Father, for those that remain here, we, we, we just com commit them to you. I pray that you would console them, that you would comfort them in their trials and their suffering. I pray, Father, that those that love them and support them and care for them would also be encouraged. Pray for Israel, Father, and uh, for that nation that is so unique in the Middle East. We pray for their prime minister who's under constant attack and not doing well enough in the elections to be secured there as uh, prime minister. So, Father, I just pr pray that in their system there might be in some agreements that would enable him to continue, if that's your will and purpose, for he surely seems to be a far better leader than those that have been opposing him. So, Father, we look now to the scriptures, and please open our hearts to them. This morning, as, as we look to see what's been written and uh, how that relates to our lives. And we'll thank you in Christ's name. Amen. Well, I'm so uh, encouraged as we continue in Philippians and uh, today. Uh, it's always a challenge to put a title on what... Uh, my will and purpose is in all of this. We, the Lord's will is what's going to work out, however. But the words that I've put on it are these. That mind which is above all minds. And that's certainly the focus in chapter 2 of the Paul's letter to the Philippians at the beginning there. And uh, we began to look at that last time to see how it... Uh, uh, how it, meaning how Paul uh, is continuing on to indicate the ways in which his own testimony uh, is representative of um, the greatest act of all, which we're going to look at today, which is Christ's own act in leaving heaven's glory to come to this earth to accomplish the plan of God, the redemptive uh, plan of, of God, which is, of course, the whole purpose behind the incarnation, right? Um, and um, what Paul has done here in the first chapter, and I'm sure you're now very well aware of that if you've been studying here with us, but what he's done is to show graphically how his imprisonment in Rome and his own testimony there in bonds as a bond man uh, 
represents something far greater than him, right? For he says, it was God who was at work, right? And many saw and witnessed Paul, and they knew him well. These Philippians certainly knew him well. And they had been transformed by believing what he had wrote or what he had written or had spoken to them. And as they saw the truth of that revealed in his life, they were uh, influenced greatly. And so he's able to exhort them based upon his testimony, because what they really saw wasn't Paul, the man Paul, but it was the Christ who dwelt within him. That's really who had been witnessed. It was not Paul, but Christ. And that was his his goal, of course, as he indicated in chapter 1 of Philippians and reading there verses 19 through 21 here to introduce what we need to consider today. He says, I know that this, shall, in, in other words, uh, the, the this is uh, the circumstances that were underway there in Rome. Uh, this shall turn to my salvation through your prayer and the supply of the Spirit of Jesus Christ. Paul was not in any doubt at all that God, its provision in him, was was going to make the difference. And he goes on and he says in verse 21, uh, or verse 20, whether it be by life or by death even, right? Nevertheless, uh, Christ would be magnified. He didn't doubt that for a moment. And then he adds, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. And we've uh, uh, spent time there considering the meaning of that great statement. Towards the end of chapter 1, he then exhorts the believers, and this is how he does it. He says, Unto you it is given in the behalf of Christ, not only to believe on him, but also to suffer for his sake, having the same conflict which you saw in me and now here to be in me. So Paul makes uh, this also very relevant to the lives of each of those in Philippi in this way. He says, in the same way that it was given unto you to believe, it is now also given to you to suffer for his sake. In another place, he says, all that would live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. That's in Second Timothy chapter three and verse twelve. So it is an option, but it's not an option. <laughs> uh, many believers turn aside and do not share in what Paul calls his conflict. In other words, they're not running the same race. Remember that word translated conflict is also translated race or A C E. It's also translated fight. Uh Okay, in other words, it's speaking of a struggle. In this particular case, uh, it's not so much Paul's struggle he's writing about as Christ's in him, right? Uh, Christ is uh, working in Paul to accomplish his great purpose. And he's working in each of us similarly. And Paul says, we need to take upon ourselves that same battle, right? The will of God is being accomplished in this world, and 
he's made us a part of it, in other words. So not only to believe, but also to suffer. And he says, take up my burden for yourself and live accordingly, right? Uh, that's his exhortation as he ends the chapter. But a little later, he again speaks uh, in, a, in a way that I think is perhaps the strongest exhortation of all in, in any of Paul's letters. That's in chapter 3. And there he writes this. He says, Brethren, be followers together of me and mark them which walk so as you have us for an example. For many walk, of whom I've told you often and now tell you even weeping, that they are the enemies of the cross of Christ, whose end is destruction, whose God is their belly, and whose glory is in their shame, who mind earthly things. For our conversation is in heaven, from whence also we look for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who shall change our vile body, that it may be fashioned like unto his heavenly or glorious body, according to the working whereby he is able even to subdue all things unto himself. Okay, that exhortation there, I I think uh, it's perhaps the strongest anywhere, and it's here in the letter to the Philippians, right? So we will get to that. But today we're continuing to lay the foundation for that kind of exhortation. Because uh, if Paul cannot exhort the believers through his own testimony, right, then, then all is lost, right? Paul is the apostle to the Gentiles. And God is using him to establish the church, the body of Christ, right? And he is working greatly. And so Paul's own testimony is in the center of everything. But, but as we're seeing now today, uh, this exhortation, which he says in the beginning verses uh, of chapter 2, this exhortation is all about our minds, ultimately. And I... I I guess it's obvious in 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 a, in a sense that uh, the mind is always the key, right? It's certainly the 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 gateway to the heart, right? And you remember raising up children, perhaps you know, in your own families. We used to talk about this all the time, right? The eye gate. <laughs> what do you let in the eye gate? <laughs> If you let the wrong thing in, uh, then uh, that very dangerous thing may enter into the heart, and it may be difficult to remove it, right? So the eye is important. The mind is a gateway into the heart, right? So here the emphasis is on the mind, and it's, it's I, as I've said before, Probably the key concept in the entire letter, it's mentioned more than, often than anything else in this letter, is the mind. Not only the mind of Paul, which he says here is an example for the believers in Philippi, also our minds are brought into this because of this exhortation, which says, as we'll see in a moment, that our minds need to be set properly, otherwise 
or in danger of what he wrote there in chapter 3, right? Being the enemies of the cross of Christ. Do you want to be an enemy of the cross of your own Savior, our Lord Jesus Christ, or do you want to live a life that's honoring and that glorifies him, right? So our minds have to be in the right place. This whole passage we're looking at now is exactly uh, there to point us correctly concerning that subject. So basically, one could just put it this way. Mind is the key, and as I've said in, in the title for today's study, the ultimate mind, the ultimate example of thinking properly, is what was in Christ Jesus, right? And Paul is going to focus specifically on that now. It is his mind that is above every other mind. So our outline today will be simple enough. Uh, we're going to be looking, as Philippians chapter 2 outlines this for us, at Christ's glorious incarnation. Christ's glorious incarnation. And the first point will have to do with the exhortation, the second, the question, and the third, the capstone teaching. The exhortation is concerning Christ's mind and that it should be ours. So what does that mean? He's going to explain what that means, that Christ's mind should be ours as well. Then there's the big question, which is, well, what was Christ's mind all about? And we'll see it has to do with leaving heaven's glory, right? So Paul is putting the focus on that. He's going to take us into the realm of the heavenlies today in what he writes in chapter 2 of Philippians, as much so as anywhere in any of Paul's letters, into the very heavenly realm where the plan of God, the redemptive plan of God, was to be worked out, right? It had been established in eternity past. Now it is to be executed. That plan must be brought to pass. And Christ was right in the center of it, of course, as the Son of God and, as prophecy indicated, as the seed of the woman. Okay, everything will be about him, ultimately. Third point is the capstone teaching. So Christ's glorious incarnation is the capstone teaching indicated that, and it will be seen then, as we finish up today, that through his incarnation and sacrifice, all enemies shall be defeated. Every enemy will be put down in the end, all because of Christ's incarnation and sacrifice. Okay? So, first of all, now, <laughs> I guess before I leap into this, um, I'm thinking of leaping because that's really what Christ did at that point in time is to leap into humanity. <laughs> you think of it that way, right? Uh, but um, it this subject is far beyond us. I mean, there's no question about it, right? I mean, there's if you feel inadequate in reading these verses, 
don't, don't feel that you're alone. Everyone does. There are thousands of pages in the commentaries written about these very few verses. Thousands of pages, all the way back to the beginning when they were first written, right? Um, all of the so-called church fathers wrote about it, or nearly all of them. And uh, there were even church councils called specifically to resolve controversies over the meaning of these verses. So if you feel inadequate, <laughs> uh, join the group, right? Um, I think what we should conclude from that, however, is that every time we open the word here in, in this place, in Philippians 2, we have the opportunity to be taught further, right? To be taught further by the Holy Spirit through this word of truth and to grasp more fully on to the apostles' meaning, right? And the whole purpose of it ultimately is that we might accept the exhortation, okay? That we might willingly accept the exhortation, which is, let this mind be in you, which was in Christ Jesus. So let's get started right there with the exhortation. Philippians chapter 2, verse 5. Patty, would you read that for us, please? Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. So it doesn't hurt to repeat, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. Is that talking about what God is doing today or God's will today or anything like that? No, it's going back to something before, right? It's going back in sort of sacred and heavenly history. I mean, I, I believe that this was not a new subject that came up in the Council of the Godhead all of a sudden. And just before uh, Matthew and Luke's first verses uh, were were uh, historically brought to pass. No, <laughs> this was worked out in eternity past. I mean, there, we can read elsewhere to see how Christ was even offered up before the foundation of the world, right? When they agreed on the plan. In other words, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, when they in in that council agreed on the plan, even before the creation, even before Adam and Eve, before any of that, right? Uh, before Satan's creation or fall, right? Before any of that, they had already agreed what the plan would be. And there was a sacred volume in which it was written. We're going to read about that today. Okay, so as events unfolded here on this earth, we finally got to the first century, right, <laughs> to just before 1 AD. In other words, see, our calendar changed <laughs> BC, before Christ, AD, right, in the Latin Anno Domini, in the year of our Lord. Okay, so everything begins to be counted based upon the incarnation of Jesus Christ, okay, and his birth, subsequently nine months later. Don't think the incarnation happened at his birth. That is not where the incarnation happened. The incarnation happened nine months before. 
we need to take that to heart. There's a lot there to be considering. Okay, so what we're doing here is we're, we're trying to understand what verse 5 means, Philippians 2.5. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. Okay, when would be the question. Um, and um, before we get into that, let's again just sort of summarize what we've already said about the word mind. Okay, because I, I think it's pretty clear the word mind has gone through changes in meaning over time in the English language. And uh, one way the word is used, I think, um, unfortunately, but one way the word is used is physically as a symptom or a synonym, sorry, not a symptom, <laughs> as a synonym for the brain or a part of the brain at least, but many would say the entire brain. What is the mind materialistically? It is the brain, right? It's an organ, a physical organ, a part of our physical being. That's not what the word means here, scripturally. Okay, I think that should be pretty obvious. It's something far more than that. It's something that goes beyond the mere physical. It's talking about patterns of thinking or convictions of the heart, right? Uh, even. I mean, the mind and the heart are always, are often, maybe not always, but often put together in Scripture. They're like different parts of the same part of our inner being as God has created us, right? We are not animals, period. That is totally false. The Darwinian, Darwinian uh, <laughs> prognosticators are wrong, right? Uh, animal means an animated being, right? That has a will and so forth and so on, right? We're surrounded by animals. When God created Adam, he didn't create an animal. Uh, we're similar to the animals physically, right? Certainly. But the possession of a spirit and a heart and a mind and so forth, that goes far beyond the animal world, right? So really what what the word here means uh, takes us into the realm of uh, conviction and will and purpose and so forth, right? Which we have as uh, God's creation, right? Um, so when we see the word mind, we're thinking uh, differently than the brain. That's not the realm in which Paul is writing of here, okay? Um, in fact, we have an English still, although I think... The word is less and less used this way, but uh, that's because of the degradation of the human heart, really, and why that's all happening. Words are cha changing their meanings rapidly. But we have expressions still like uh, minding the store. I mentioned this last time, right? Minding the store. It's not talking about a part of your physical brain uh, calculating or or uh, something like that, right? Mining the store is, is thought on a higher level. Uh, we have another expression that's even found in Scripture, being otherwise minded, okay? You know, so that means you've set your course differently, right? Uh, and it's, it starts in the mind, but it gets itself worked out in acts, right? So there's 
then there's the other issue here. Uh, we're talking about Christ himself, right? Christ's mind. <laughs> well, certainly there's, there has to be a great gulf between the divine mind and our minds. I mean, this is always going to be the case, right? Uh, one is infinite and perfect. One is not, right? Um, so that great gulf is there, but the Apostle Paul also writes, and this is an amazing statement, in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 16, he wrote, he wrote these words to the Corinthians. He says, For who hath known the mind of the Lord, that he may instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. So what Paul is writing of here, when he writes about the mind of Christ, and he exhorts the believers, he says, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, right? That's something that's within our grasp as believers. Surely, otherwise the words are meaningless here, okay? And Paul has become the example. He, he says, has the mind of Christ, First Corinthians chapter 2, verse 16. Let's go on. Let's move on. The question comes up then, and it's a very big question. What was Christ's mind? And as we're going to see now, specifically, what was Christ's mind in leaving behind heaven's glory? Because that's really what this is all about. And we'll see that now. Um, Linda, would you please read that for us? In Philippians chapter 2, verses 6 through 8. Who, being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to equal to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, and took upon himself the form of a servant, and was made in the likeness of men. And being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. Okay, those are the words... <clears throat> that uh, have been in the focus of many down through the centuries and uh, that the leaders of the churches have often spoke about and uh, taught and wrote about. <clears throat> uh, as I said, thousands of pages are written about this, these very verses, especially 7 and 8. Uh, okay, what's the background of all of this? Well, I, I think to understand this, we have to go to two two places. One is in the New Testament, we'll read there first, in Hebrews 10. But Hebrews 10 is quoting Psalms 40, so we'll have to go there as well in order to get the context of the exhortation when Paul says, let this mind be in you, which was in Christ Jesus. We've got to go there to see the context of that. So, um Roy, would you please uh, read for us from uh, Hebrews 10, these great verses here. Hebrews 10, verses 5 through 10. Wherefore, when he cometh into the world, he say, Sacrifice and offering thou what is not, but a body hast thou prepared me, and burnt offerings and sacrifices for sin, thou hath not thou had no pleasure. Then said, I will I come in the volume 
of the book it is written of me to do thy will, God. Above when he said, sacrificing and offering and burnt offerings and offerings for sin, thou wouldst not, neither hast pleasure therein, which are offered by the law. Then he said, Lo, I will come to do thy will, O God. He take up away the first that he may establish the second by the which will we are sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ for all. Amen. The offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all by which we are sanctified. Okay, so this is very exalted and heavenly language, isn't it? Uh, and you see, we're taken right back there into heaven's glory before the incarnation. Um, and um, we see that what's at the very center of this is God's will. God's will and purpose. It will be carried out. It must be carried out, but all in the proper timing, of course, right? Uh, there's much confusion about the timing always, right? We're looking at this from our limited perspective. We have the scriptures open before us. We we have uh, uh, more than a thousand pages. However, the translation has been done more than a thousand pages there uh, and uh, trying to put everything in the proper order historically but then we were caught up into heaven's uh, realm and see there things from god's point of view and god's beyond time so and yet he intersects with with the same time we live in doesn't he so god's will is at the center of this he's it's mentioned here a couple of times but let's go on the quotation here in uh in verse um um, five and six, seven. That that's re a reference back to the Old Testament and the Psalm of David, number forty uh, of his Psalms, and verses five through eight. Charlie, please read that. For Many, O Lord, my God, are thy wonderful works which thou hast done, and thy thoughts which are to usward. They cannot be reckoned up in order in, unto thee. If I would declare and speak of them, they are more than can be numbered. Sacrifice and offering thou didst not desire, mine ears hast thou opened. Burnt offering and sin offering hast thou not required. Then said I, lo, I come. In the volume of the book it is written of me. I delight to do thy will. Oh, my God, yea, thy law is within my heart. Oh, wow. Okay, there are the words uh, that were spoken by the pre-incarnate Son of God at that point in heavenly time, right? Spoken by the pre-incarnate Son of God when it was realized. See, it says, my ears are bored. That's sort of a way of saying, uh, I now hear what I now know that what's written is now f to be accomplished, right? So there's a book, he says, in the volume of the book, it is written of me, to, I delight to do thy will, O my God, yea, thy laws within my heart. So this is the pre-incarnate Son of God, now on the very verge of 
leaping into human history. And what a leap that was. In verses 7 and 8, in, in, in uh, back in Philippians 2, tell us what was involved in that. So what we're seeing here is what the mind of Christ was all about. What was the pattern of thinking? You know, what were the convictions of the heart? What was going on there in the pre-incarnate Son of God at that point in, as I keep saying it, heavenly time, right? Because <laughs> until things are executed in human time, it's not history yet, right? Um, okay, so we we see this word will, and I just wanted to quickly say one thing about that, uh, because Hebrews chapter 10 mentions the will he said, by which will we are sanctified, right? Okay, uh, what will is that, okay? And the answer to that question is, it's the coordinated will of the Father and the Son, okay? Um, as it's written in the volume that that an eternity past declared what the redemptive plan of God would be and how it would unfold, Right that Christ would have to leave heaven's glory to come to this earth to accomplish the redemptive plan of God is what we're talking about. That's what the focus is, right? But what Paul is doing in Philippians 2 is just remarkable, really, when you think of it. I mean, remember how this letter starts. And he, what does he talk about? And in chapter 2, even he, he mentions the names of two women who had a conflict. Right. He's going to go from that. One of the most common things that we all have experienced. Right. Human conflicts, even in the church. Right. Even in the body of Christ. Human. Con He's going to go from those vain uh, conflicts of humanity that lead to nothing positive. Right. And he's going to just immediately go into the heavenlies <laughs> in these most amazing verses and consider the exalted glorious son of god now willing to leap into human history to take upon himself human flesh what does that all involve okay <clears throat> okay so paul's going to tell us what that involves and that's exactly what we must look at now in Philippians chapter 2 and verse 6. Okay. Um, and uh, <laughs> I'm going to uh, quickly read this. We're coming back here next time. We cannot quickly go through these verses. It would be a crime to do so. Okay. Uh, in fact, we'll be back here next time, and I, I'm not able to say right now, but we may be back here again after that, right? I mean, there's no virtue in quickly going ahead unless we have clearly in mind what's written here, okay? Unless we've even taken it to the heart. And in Bible studies, you know how Bible studies go. There's a schedule. There's a plan. You've got to get to this next thing by this time. Oh, this is contrary to the will of God often, right, where we really need to stop and just consider. And when I'm leading a Bible study, especially if it's a one-on-one, -on -one especially, sometimes we just don't go ahead. We have to just stop 
Yeah, maybe for a long time. Maybe we have to go back and reconsider other things before we can go ahead, because there has to be a proper foundation laid. All right? So uh, what does Paul write here? I'm going to read these verses quickly. Verse 7. Let's say verse 6. I can't do verse 7 before verse 6. Who, speaking of Christ, being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God. Now, I know, of course, um, these verses have already been read. Linda read them, but let's take them to heart a little as we go through it again. Who, being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation and took upon him the form of a servant and was made in the likeness of men. And being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. Well, as we go on in the letter of the Philippians, we're going to see this sevenfold humiliation of the Son of God outlined here in verses 7 and 8, replicated multiple times in the letter of the Philippians. It is the structure. There will be sevens and sevens and sevens and sevens. It forms the foundation of the whole letter, the number seven, and this sevenfold kind of, uh, of statement. Here it's sevenfold humiliation of the Son of God as he takes upon himself human flesh, okay? Uh, verses 7 give us an in-depth insight into exactly what was involved in Christ's mind, okay, when he recognized the time had now come, as it were, to launch into the execution of this plan, okay? Before this point, God was dealing with Israel in various ways and with the Gentiles in various ways. And the law was in effect for the nation of Israel, right? Moses' law. And the prophets had prophesied because Israel was in rebellion, right? And God had brought great judgments upon that nation and that people. Uh, and things had led to the point now, in fact, for 400 years, uh, there were no prophets, and then all of a sudden, there's John in the wilderness, right? Uh, and he makes way of the way of the Lord and so forth. But um, And so heavenly history now connects directly with earthly history, human history, at this point. But when, when the Son of God, in his mind, recognizes my will now must be to carry out the plan that's been agreed upon, right? That's going to involve him now giving up much and taking upon himself much, giving up various aspects of heavenly glory that he had always possessed, right? Leaving that beside, not leaving everything beside, He's not going to give up his deity. He can't, okay? But he's going to take upon himself humanity in a perfect sense as he enters into the human race, right? Uh, and uh, you see what it's going to lead to here. And he knew this. He knew the plan. So he knew that when he entered into 
human form, right? In that conception in Mary's womb, when he entered into that, it was ultimately going to lead where? Where was it going to lead? It's going to lead to death, even the death of the cross, right? And that's not just a physical death. It's spiritual, and it involves suffering for the sins of the world, right? He will take upon himself in his own flesh the punishment for our sins eternally. And he knows this. That's on his mind, and yet he is willing nevertheless. So when Paul says, let this mind be in you, which is also in Christ Jesus, right? That's what he's referring to. What was in the mind of Christ when he leaped into the world stage, into humanity, right? It would take nine months for that child to be born, right? <laughs> but he was already the God-man once the conception had occurred. The Holy Spirit was involved. We know all about that from reading in, in Luke, right? And in Matthew. Okay, so what had been worked out in eternity past is now being brought into reality, okay? And into human history. So then we get to the capstone teaching. The capstone teaching is how this is all going to be worked out in the end, right? Uh, what has been accomplished? through the incarnation of Christ and what is yet to be accomplished. And we have no time to dwell in that, but I do want Daniel to read uh, those verses. And we'll... we'll uh, so for now, though, let's just uh, finish up with Daniel reading these verses from Philippians chapter 2 and verses 9, 10, and 11. Daniel? Wherefore God also hath highly exalted him, and given him a name, which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow of things in heaven and things in earth and things under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, the glory of God the Father. Thanks, thanks. Thank you so much. Uh, so what do we have there? <laughs> Where is Christ today? Is he on earth leading a crusade? Maybe leading a protest? Maybe leading a climate change uh, conference? Maybe speaking uh, before a world body or something of the sort? No, absolutely not. That is not what Christ is doing today. He's seated at the right hand of God, the Father, having already entered into humanity through the incarnation, right? And then the death ultimately of the cross and the glorious resurrection. And finally the ascension back into heaven's glory, where he's waiting for the word, right? To call us up, where he shall meet us in the air, right? And then take us into glory. Uh, it says here in Philippians 2, God says, wherefore, God has highly exalted him. Why has he been highly exalted? Because of the mind 
which is above every mind, which led him to cast off the glories of heaven and to come into the human realm, right? Now he'll always be in this realm because the God-man continues today. Only now he's in heaven, right? But he's still the God-man. What does Paul say? There's one mediator between God and man, the man, Christ Jesus, right? So the plan of God has been brought through several phases here, through the incarnation of the Lord Jesus, and he's been highly exalted. And we are asked simply to let that mind be ours. Two women in Philippi were asked by this letter to let that mind be theirs. I wonder if it made a difference. Does it make a difference for us? I hope and pray that it does, right? Is his mind ours today? That's the question. It can be, and we pray that it will be. <clears throat> okay, any uh, comments or questions before we close in prayer today? I know these words are astounding, aren't they? <laughs> Challenging indeed. But this mind be in you, which was in Christ Jesus, right? Okay, well, let's pray. Father God, thank you for gathering us today. And uh, uh, I pray, Father, that we would grasp onto the meaning of these words more than uh, some merely mental way. But surely uh, the my, our minds uh, works on many levels, uh, as uh, we have learned over the years. Uh, so we're taking in your word, Father. Uh, we read, we hear, we grasp on to certain parts and not other parts yet. And we're uh, opening our hearts and you're opening our hearts to receive even more. So, Father, I pray that uh, this might not uh, be a vain teaching that falls on deaf ears, but rather that our ears are opened as well. As uh, we read here <laughs> what happened in heaven's glory uh, in the psalm there, that our ears would be opened to hear truly the word of the living God and uh, to be exhorted and to have a will like Christ, willing to sacrifice, to give up uh, the, the earthly privileges and pleasures for the sake of that which is eternal. Father, I pray that you'd be honored and glorified in and through us as we do that in Christ's name. Amen. Well, I hope and pray this has been a blessing to you. And uh, we look forward to see how the Lord will work 